This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. Welcome to the D&D World. Meet you by the art room door In a circle on the hallway floor I made up a new map last night It's got a dragon and a wizard fight Welcome to the Saver and I podcast, a podcast about classical dungeons and dragons. I'm Crispy, a level one halfling veteran. I'm Courtney, a level eight cleric, and I just used my last healing spell. And I'm Carl, I'm a original D&D elf, and I just switched back to being a magic user. And on this episode of the show, we're going to be doing a follow-up from last episode. We're going to be talking about, that's right, another Gazetteer. This time, Gazetteer 6, the Dwarves of Rockholm. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about what we did in gaming since the last episode. Well, we had some friends over uh, over the weekend, and they are gamers, just like we are gamers. It's actually my best friend who I grew up playing Dungeons & Dragons with. Um, they were... Uh, visiting us and we decided to break out some uh, gaming goodness and we played some BX D&D and I ran a um, one shot that I made up there was a city that was surrounded by undead and full of were rats <laughs> and they had to uh, slice through that and figure it out and uh, solve the problem yes Very cool. I uh, finally played Tycom which I believe I talked about before um, a cleric and I feel like we did really well at this adventure, just figuring out the best way to go about solving the problem with the were-rats. Yeah, they managed not to get turned into were-rats. That's a plus. <laughs> we had some good dice rolls, too, which always helps. Wasn't that your first cleric ever? Yeah, yeah, it was my first cleric. I finally got to play Tycon oh, and uh, played the cleric, and it was a good time. Excellent. Before we jump into the the proper show... I do want to take a minute to apologize for the side adventure uh, and my audio. I uh, I spent the weekend reinstalling a bunch of stuff on my computer, chiefly uh, completely reinstalling my Windows partition and uh, upgrading to the newest OS X on my Mac partition. And somewhere in between there, my inputs got like switched around, so I wasn't coming through on my uh, my regular microphone I use. I was coming through on my webcam microphone, and it sounded like hot garbage. So if you endured that side adventure, thank you, and I'm sorry. Let's jump into our basic impressions on the dwarves of Rockholm. I like how it gets more dwarfy each time you say it. Thanks. The basic Dungeons and Dragons set was probably the best gift I've ever gotten. Basic Impressions. So the Dwarves of Rockholm is what we're going to talk about today. This is a 1988 basic D&D product that was written by Aaron Alston, um, uh, who you may know as the primary author on the Rule Cyclopedia. The cover is by Clyde Caldwell, and the interior illustrations are by Stephen Fabian. And uh, like many um, of the Gazetteer products, it has a large color map and folder that you can fold out and uh, look at and have all the maps a nice thing if you do buy the uh the pdf version from drive-thru it actually comes with all of those as their own jpegs 
And then it comes with a composite one of uh, the maps and also the floor plans. The other gazetteers I've bought from drive through didn't have that, so that was kind of a neat surprise. I wonder, and I don't do much um, on a virtual tabletop, but I wonder if that would be useful to be able to plug into a virtual tabletop. I imagine it would. I don't know. I actually also don't use virtual tabletops, but I'm sure that you could take it on roll 20 and, and size it to a grid and get it all set up. This product is available for purchase from DriveThruRPG. Like most of the gazetteers, it is $5. It's $4.99. Um, and that's how I read it. It's it's pretty good. It's a much better printing. It's a much better scan, I should say, than Gaz 4. Um, God, Gaz 4 was just hot garbage. Ga- Gaz so, 5. Gaz 5, I'm sorry. Gaz 4 was the good one. Yeah, so just retake yeah. it real quick. Nah, that's fine. I can be wrong. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney, what were your basic impressions of this uh, of this gazetteer? So I enjoyed it. I I love dwarves, and so I would definitely want to play this. I can't imagine anything being more fun than playing a game where everybody is a dwarf that's on your team <laughs> and using the different uh, clans to create your different dwarf characters that have different abilities, uh, using the different dwarf clans that have the different skill sets to help in different areas. So I, I would be all for it. I, I like that aspect of it. For me, I also really like this book. Um, I talked to Carl about it a little bit, and I'll get in a little bit later, but um, I think it has a different feel than than Gaz 4. It, it covers a lot of the same stuff, but I feel like it's... You can see a progression from what they were trying to do with Gaz 4 to ha- like the execution, and this is much better. Um, and I super enjoyed reading this. I... I like, was finding all kinds of little things that I really liked. Carl, what about you? I liked it as well. I think where it succeeds, it really does feel universally dwarfy. You know, I mean, even down to the way the cities are laid out, it's a very dwarfy feeling art style construction. I mean, uh, everything about it feels right to me. Uh, where it's different from Gaz 5 is that I read Gaz 5 and said, this doesn't feel like an elf city it feels like a human city with a bunch of pointy ear uh, humans walking around um but everything about this feels really dwarfy to me i really enjoyed it yeah and like i had said to you earlier uh today i think what was great about this is that it didn't try to reinvent the wheel it just sort of was like all right this is how everyone thinks of dwarves this is what we all know and it doesn't really try to like turn that on its head or do anything like out of the box with it um, it really just kind of sticks to, you know, what literally every person who plays D&D thinks of when they think of dwarves for the most part, and just enhances that. It was like, like getting a wheel with like a new type of tread as opposed to like a new type of wheel. Do we want to jump into our expert observations? Yeah, let's move to expert observations. Greetings, princess. It is I, Carlos the Dwarf dragon has been slain and you're free to rule your kingdom. Congratulations, Daniel. You just finished your first Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Expert observations. So I expertly observed <laughs> a couple of things. So one, Crispy, I'll point out just for you, 
that it describes number one under the dwarf. Uh, female dwarfs do not have beards. Their faces bear the strong, craggy features of the dwarven race, but do not have facial hair. So there you go. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that. I, I for some reason, thought Mistara dwarfs had beards, but they apparently don't. I did like reading that dwarf women didn't have beards. I don't know why. I'm not like a pro dwarf women with beards camp. I'm not. I'm not in that camp. I guess it doesn't matter though. Like you could change that. Yeah. Right. I'm kind of either way. Like I don't really care. I know what I would do if I were playing a dwarf, but I don't. I don't it's not like a a hang up. But whenever I saw that, I was like, ah. Hey. So, uh, dwarf clerics are uh, uh, dumb and not worth it. That's my expert observation. <laughs> there are yeah. some problems. I just, I don't know. Like, they have elf. They have the elf experience track. And I'm just like, really? Is it really worth that much more? Though I guess it's not that different than if you just added, I mean, it's a little bit more. But if you just added cleric and dwarf together. Because, I mean, they kind of work that way for the most part. Okay, but this is the difference. So, the elf is not magic user and fighter added together it's double fighter so the elf levels as a fighter one experience level slower i guess that's true so i feel like the dwarf cleric uh should do that for a cleric because the problem is um they don't have all the cleric powers they even have limitations on how their spells function. They can't raise non-dwarfs, um, and they can't be super destructive with their spell casting. Um, and uh, on top of that, they don't get to turn undead. Um, so they, they are a limited cleric-powered dwarf. They advance as fighters in their attack ranks, and they get dwarf saving throws. But, you know, that's only worth a small amount of XP when comparing dwarfs to fighters. So I don't know why it's now worth more than double the XP from cleric to dwarf. It, 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 it's real out there for them to have that strong a requirement for XP gain. We could math this out ourselves because uh, Aaron D. Smale, the Welsh Piper, did recently come up with a come out with a follow-up article to his building the perfect class like system. So we could, and it's it's tooled specifically for D and D because he's like, ah, oh, my original. I ma I always imagine he's like got an accent, even though I think he's from like Connecticut. But like he's also, oh, my original. This is bad. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Lean into it. Lean into it. It's okay. <laughs> oh, oh, my original idea were for the rule cyclopedia, not for a basic expert. So I'm gonna go back and reverse engineer it. Aaron, uh, if you listen to the show, <clears throat> I just want to say that I'm sorry, and I respect you as a creator. What if he does a call-in, and he's really angry, and he says, That's not at all what I sound like! Why would you mock me? <laughs> How dare you? Anyways, we could add these features to the dwarf, and like build on that, and maybe math out uh, how much XP it would actually be worth. I don't know, like, I, I think it's an interesting idea. Yeah. Aside from just making them a hybrid class of both, I don't really think that, like, I could have done much better with how it's presented here. I just don't, like, care for it. My only complaint is the XP flow. 
that's my only complaint about the class. I think the class works functions perfectly well. I think they should probably level as a magic user um, and not level as an elf. I, I think that's what I would change. Um, okay. But, yeah, that's my only complaint. I don't like the in-game, like, uh, mechanic, I guess, of, like, they're very secretive about their their existence and that you would only heal if it was... Um, if it came down to, like, the wire and you should have two character sheets and only refer to your your real sheet when someone else isn't looking. Yeah, I think it's totally bizarre that they're suggesting to keep it secret and have a separate character sheet and and all that was just, just bizarre that that was even a thing. I mean, I feel like as a adventuring party or a dwarven party in this town... You know, you would, I mean, what do you learn? I think even my kids know you don't split the party. So we're all in this together. So if we're all in this together, then why are we going to hide that we're a cleric? Why wouldn't? Yeah. It's uh, weird. I don't, I don't know why that was. I like, don't even know how that would function at the table. Like why they would all know that you have this other sheet that you're not letting anybody see. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, are you just at the table and you need to like reference your spells so you All you sudden, say to the rest of the party, look over there, and then while they're <laughs> while their backs are turned, you quickly like <laughs> I don't even know. It's such a you a nonchalantly comedic. set up your own DM, which is actually a dwarf cleric screen. Don't that, mind no, me. No, that's real. That's a real thing that exists. Player, screen. player screens are real. Well, then maybe that's how you keep it hidden. <laughs> all right, everybody. We're, we're going to uh, play some uh, Dungeons Dragons tonight. It just got Doors of Rock home. We're going to set it all up. And Jerry's going to use a player screen. No reason. Don't worry about that. Uh, and everybody, uh, let's roll some dice. I guess my thought was everybody <laughs> could use a player screen to make it not so obvious. <laughs> that would make more sense. <laughs> but then, you know, someone's got something to hide. That's true. And then, like, you're supposed to wait until, like, you really need to heal somebody. To reveal that you're a cleric, like, is this like a, like a, I don't know, survivor or something, and <laughs> now I'm gonna tell you I'm a cleric right before you die. How mad would you be if you had, if you were playing with a secret dwarf cleric, and your character dies because in that decision-making <laughs> moment, the player you was like, it. Oh, I don't. I don't think it. We don't need to do it right now. And then you get like critically hit or something like that, and your character dies. And then you know it's like weeks later, <laughs> and he learned from that mistake. He's like, oh, I shouldn't keep it so close to the breast. So he heals someone else and saves them from dying. And you're just like, Darren, you could have healed me. I was playing that character for three years. <laughs> like, well, sorry, I was supposed to keep it secret. I wasn't sure if now was the time to tell everybody that I'm a cleric. It just seems like it's more trouble than it's worth. So how do y'all feel about the rolling to get your clan? I actually didn't mind that. Um, I, I, was, I was going to jump into the clans. Um, I, I like these clans a lot. They're very functional. They're very utilitarian. They're kind of exactly what you would think dwarf clans would be like. I like that it's modified for example by being a dwarf cleric you're not going to be from the the lower lower clans 
if you're a dwarven cleric because they're only from the upper crust. Uh, so uh, you you get modifiers based on um, your background and whether or not you're a dwarf cleric. So you can end up with as much as a plus 10 modifier where you're very likely to be coming from really the the, uh, the high society of dwarves. Yeah, they've got like, uh, the clans sort of all fill, you know, what you would think dwarf society would have as rules. There's like, you know, there's like the the noble clan, there's the farmer clan, there's the military clan, there's the like mad scientist clans, there's the uh like uh like super religious clan. Um my favorite is I love the weird science in this book. That's a little bit later in it, but there's some really fun ideas with how they present you know, Tinkerer Dwarves. And I'm really glad that they made it Tinkerer Dwarves and not Gnomes. So I do like on the Rolling to Get Your Clan, there's more of the farmers and the military than there are of the aristocrats and uh, the the higher class clans. Um, I, I guess I'm a little surprised that there's not even less of a percentage chance to be like in the what the Everest the highest clan. You know, like I, I notice how they they forty percent is the military and the farmers and so there's more in that lower class area, but then I guess I feel like maybe it's getting too picky, but that the Everest clan might be even smaller, like a five percent. Um, so I like rolling for stuff like that. I know a lot of people would rather just choose, and I think you can allow either at your table, but uh, I, I like these kind of charts. I just think they're neat. Yeah. One thing I liked uh, was the the given name generator. Um, it's just, there's a prefix and a suffix, and it's like, you get two syllables, and you get a very dwarfy name out of it. <laughs> yeah. The prefixes and suffixes, when you mix them and match them, you can get Thorin. You can get Ori Dorian Nori. You can get Balin. You can get Dwalin. You can get Boffer. You can get Bomber. You can get Feely. You cannot get Keely. They shut Keely out. Yeah, but no one likes Keely. <laughs> I think quite a few people liked Killy <laughs> based on the reaction to the movies. <laughs> he was the hot dwarf, right? The one who was in love with Evangeline Lily. <laughs> yes. The as least much as it looking pains, dwarf. as much as it pains me to say that. Yeah, 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 that's that's him. That's him. That's that's who he is now. That's <laughs> That's what the Hobbit is now, everybody. It's the hot dwarf that likes the elf. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you can't get Gimli, though, either, just to be clear. Only only Hobbit dwarfs, but not Keeley. Hmm. Hmm. Shame. Um, after the naming section, there is uh, my favorite part about dwarf naming, which is epithets, which are where you get your, like... <laughs> fantasy compound word names mm-hmm. so you know you've got like uh you know you've got goblin's bane man friend skull splitter black brow just every dwarf last name i've ever used <laughs> like skull splitter rock cutter i mean i know that's your classic i mean that's what a dwarf does is cut rock and build but it just sounds so like 
basically. It's the John Doe of the dwarf world. Yeah. So after this portion of the book, it does bring in skills. Skills are here again. Uh, it talks a lot about dwarven society, uh, how dwarves are workaholics, and uh, how they prefer to make things that are... Um, you know, it's just, it's dwarves. Like, I I feel like I'm belaboring the point, but really, all the dwarven culture stuff is like, hey man, you know dwarves? And you go, yeah, I, I know dwarves. And the book is just like, this is dwarves. And I, that's not a criticism. Like, it's a good thing. It's like, dwarves like to drink. And it's like, yeah, I I figured, I've I've read The Lord of the Rings. But like, keep dwarves in mind, like to sing. The person, yeah, that the, picks, the person that picks this up that doesn't, hasn't played D&D, you know, or is fairly new to the game, like, this might have a little bit more um, character development behind what who a dwarf is, or maybe they've only played clerics, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> you know, then this could be very uh, educational yes. for them. Reverse Courtney. That is <laughs> that is uh, uh, an important thing to keep in mind, is that D&D is many people's first encounter with fantasy, and this needs to exist for them. That's true. And, like, so I'm, like, I'm bagging on, like, you know, when they're talking about how dwarves like to work and sleep and how they like to build stuff rather than, like, comp- compose a poem or a song or a painting. Like, I really like that. Like, I I, think I also that... like that. I'm not trying. The... I, I don't know. I'm coming off way more negative than I mean <laughs> to. I really like that. I'm just saying, like, I everything you know about dwarves is in here on that page. But then the next page after that is, like, their life progression, and it has the different stages of dwarven life. And I was like, oh, this is dope. This is great. Well, what what that did for me what is it framed it in a way that I never considered, is that dwarves like stone and metal for their permanency. Right, mm-hmm. they like them because they are leaving something for generations to look. Because dwarves are very communal, where um, uh, you know they have a long lifespan, so they don't want to do art on something that will fade away. They, it makes them sad to see art on stuff that will fade away. Um, it, it says in this book, and it framed it in a way that I really, um, I never, I'd always, you know, known those things. Like that's how I envisioned dwarves, but it, but it put it in a way that. Uh, to me, made so much sense for the culture they have. Elves don't care how you make art. They will enjoy it in the moment and then just move on and flit around and, you know, it's fine. It doesn't matter that they live a long time. They enjoyed it right then and then they move on. But that just makes dwarfs sad because they want to give it to their children and pass it on. And it's part of this communal uh, environment that they're a part of. Yeah. I Again, I like what is in here. <laughs> I just like... You know, I I don't think I don't know. I guess it's not like a stretch of the imagination. They're like doors like permanent things. It's like, yeah, no, I I know. Like, thanks, <laughs> book. I'm I'm glad you told me, but like, I'm aware. And that's not a criticism. It's just an observation. Another thing that did in the framing for me is is there's dwarfs obviously that have to grow food that have to create food and sustenance for the oh, other yeah, dwarfs. Oh yeah, and they're the pariahs. I thought that was super interesting, actually. Yeah, because it's like this has to be done. And it's it's important, but it doesn't carry over from our ancestors or to our descendants. And so it is less valuable because it's just the moment and they don't care about the moment. Yeah, but I like how they how they're like, well, we're the farmers. And if y'all mess with us, we just won't feed you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to bring that up. I was so excited to bring that up, too. <laughs> 
that's like we're just we're so excited to talk about dwarves i love that in the clan relationships where they're like yeah if you don't like us we just we will starve you what are you gonna do about it grow your own food you don't know how which i'm surprised that uh, i guess i'm kind of surprised they are the lowest class to an extent because i mean dwarves like to eat and drink and all that and you need this food that the farmers grow to do those things I think it's uh, completely reminiscent of American culture as it stands right now. Oh, we don't, right. We don't really uh, care about cooks and waiters. We don't think of them as distinguished members of society. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, we certainly eat plenty in America. <laughs> uh, one thing I did like that they included in this, and I normally don't like this kind of thing, is um, what dwarves eat. Like, it's got, like, the food and drink and, and kind of how they get it. And I don't know. I I like uh I really like when that kind of stuff is included. I I love creating like a menu for a tavern cuz you know, player characters often go to the bar and they're like I'm going to get us something to eat and then you're like, "Ah, oh, crap. What do people in like medieval times eat?" <laughs> Gruel, I guess. And it's like, "Nah. It's like cheese and dried meat." Either you want some roasted pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the uh, what does the bar have they have a slop and then they have spicy slop <laughs> i like spicy slop you're lucky you got here on sloppo de mayo <laughs> <laughs> so anyways this comes up with like you know how do they get their protein they eat meats and funguses <laughs> And they have puddings. And it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. It's medieval Europe. I don't know. Like, did they include that in Gaz 5? I don't remember. I don't recall it. And I, I Yeah. Don't... Like, that's the thing about this book is it's... It's very thorough. It's got, like, the mini campaign setting that Gaz 5 kind of had. Where it's like, this is really centered around adventures in Alfheim. But it does so much more because it it's like the dwarves of rock home but it's also the dwarves of the known world yeah that's exactly what gaz 5 was missing because gaz 5 was really just here's this town that's pretty much a human town that the elves kind of inhabit and it there's nothing that feels special or interesting about it it's just another human city uh in the trees and this is uh dwarfy dwarf all the way through and feels different and feels like you're visiting the dwarves and you're going to have a different experience because of it. Or, and even the reverse is that, where you could take this and make a dwarf from Rockholm and take them out into the, the known world at large and still have, you know, if they're from the, the Bororar clan. What's the, the Boradar? Bordar? Bordar? You could be a Barodar dwarf and be a dwarf cleric and have that be secret, except to, like, the player characters. You could keep it a secret in-game, I guess. I guess, like, I'm jumping back a little bit, but, like, keeping a secret in-character is cool. Keeping a secret in real life is dumb, and I... it's dumb. I see what you're saying. Like, it wouldn't be a problem for that to be a character concept. Like, you guys don't know I'm a dwarf yet. I mean... <laughs> You guys don't know that I'm a dwarf yeah, cleric no. yet. I'm on I'm stilts. Just, I'm, I'm two a really dwarves. tall halfling. I'm two dwarves in a trench coat. <laughs> I'm really an elf. I'm just, I'm an elf with a glandular problem. <laughs> <laughs> 
Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Great! Why not head over to patreon.com slash WGP and support that show for as little as dollar a month. Dollar a month goes a long way to helping support the network Wild Games Productions. Again, that's patreon.com slash WGP. Thank you. Uh, I really love the dwarven uh, age and like it's called the progress of dwarven life and the book is the segment where it talks about like it gives it in 50 year chunks what dwarves are kind of doing like you know they hit puberty I guess at age 20 and then they go out and do adventures until they're 50 and then they settle down and get a real job and like you know braid their beard in a respectable manner and then at like at a hundred, they get promoted to partner, and then they like take on a protege dwarf, and then you know at at one fifty, they're they're grandpa dwarfs. I I really loved them framing just a life cycle like that for a demi human because it's it's always kind of weird where you're like my dwarf's a hundred and thirty years old, and it's like. Is that, like, young for dwarves? Like, how mm-hmm. do they age? Is I would want to play him like a grandpa dwarf, but, you know, maybe dwarves... Maybe that's teenage years for dwarves. Uh, it talks about, you know, dwarf society after that, and it's, you know, there's a king. I, they're not stretching the imagination with how dwarf society is set up. There's, you know, a senate and a king and, like, a council of nobles. And, uh... That's fine. Like, I think that's great. Um, I love that this is like a weird thing. Um, but the last gazetteer introduced clan relationships and sort of who gets along with who. They did that in this book as well, but they also provided you with a nice matrix, and I don't recall Gaz 5 doing that. When I saw the the matrix, I was like, oh, this is great. Um, this book is great. It's it's a good book. Uh, then it's got the guilds. I love that there's a, like, contingency of trickster dwarves. Just some, like, young merry prankster dwarves who are going, like, <laughs> getting to mostly harmless scuffles with elves. I liked, uh, more than I thought I was going to when I was reading about them, the Rockholm Lizards. Which oh, yeah. are just dwarf worker pets. And I really thought... Like, it starts, if the dog is man's best friend, then the rock home lizard is the best friend of the rock home dwarf. And I was like, I am not going to like this. And then I kept reading about it, and I kind of dug it. And I, I like that they have this little contingency, so you don't end up stealing a bunch of rock home lizards and making it the primary traveling companion of your entire party, is they die in sunlight. They just, they can't, they can't handle the sunlight. They're like gremlins. Uh, so, I just, yeah, I like them a lot. A little bit before that, uh, another thing I really liked was uh, the calendar they presented with all the different holidays. They actually presented it in calendar form, so you can kind of see what days are what. There's so many good expansions on stuff that was presented that they just really took and refined. Uh, I love the dwarf language, um, and they even gave you like a phonetic key for uh, the vowels and the diphthongs. And uh, I wish I had a little more time to study it to see if there's, like, an internal consistency. I did look and see, like, um, there are different morphemes or, like, word portions that are consistent. Like, uh, for 
you know, the dwarven word for dwarf, it does translate out to what it it says it is, but there's not any kind of a consistency for like, you know, this is the word for stone. The word for granite, which would like you would think would be a hard stone if you're using like a functional use language, would be like a compound word of those or like, um, you know, the word for gravel doesn't really have anything to do with the word stone either. Um, so it's a lot of made up fantasy BS that like, here's like, ah, here's a bunch of replacement words. So it's more of a code than a language, but like. You could do more with that. That's my particular, like, gaming neuroses, though. So take that with a huge grain of salt as a criticism. Yeah, I'm even just taking one of those and just making it like, this is, when I get angry as a dwarf, I say this word. Like, just saying the dwarf word for blood. Like, when you're angry, and just go, bleese. And just just taking that and 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 having it as part of your character and, and it, it being built into the campaign world, I think that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, they give you some rules for how to advance through society, which I think is really cool. How to like move up the social ranks. Yeah, that's the how to become a dwarf senator stuff. I'm never ever gonna use. <laughs> I, yeah, I, it depends on your game, but you know yeah. this does sort of it does outline later in the book. Um, you know what basic adventures are like, what expert adventures are like, and then yeah. what what companion level adventures are like, and it sort of also has a built in like. Here's how you progress societally through that. Uh, another great thing that I like were uh, it, it gave you the rules for how dwarves make magic items, uh, and they're real quick and dirty. Um, I don't want to read the rules verbatim, but you you have to be a high level dwarf, and then um, the GP and time is based on like what level of enchantment you want to do, and then like. Uh, the base cost of the item and it also gives you and i think experience spent as well and it also gives you the ability to like if you make a plus one axe you can over time refine it and tinker with it and make it a plus two axe and then make it a plus three axe and i just thought was really cool yeah it's really quick and really dirty but i feel like it's something you can kind of do in the background um even while you're just like you know, someone else has the spotlight or, like, in-between adventures. So, did y'all see the section on Dwarven science? Um, I think it's also interesting that the things, the science aspect that dwarves create is about making their work easier. So, it's still very extremely dwarven to create engines and mechanical engineer you know levers and all the stuff like the science they apply seems to be uh, to make work more efficient I just think it's very interesting that their their science is still all revolving around work so like elves of Elfheim it has a list of non-player characters uh, you could pull these out from rock home and just use them whole cloth in a campaign setting of your own design um some of them have story points that are specific to rock home but they all have stat lines you could use that uh as a quick npc for any of your games 
Um, then after the uh, non-player characters, they have some monster information. That's where we see the Lizard uh, of Rockholm and some other monsters. It talks about uh, where the monsters from the basic and expert set might appear in your Rockholm campaign. As, uh, for example, one of my favorite things is it talks about how giant ants are sometimes uh, employed by dwarf clerics using speak with animals to help with mining. And I think that's a super cool idea. Yeah, I, I really love that section, just, like, giving you what monsters you would typically have in, in just, like, a rock home campaign. Um, how did you feel about Nessie? That's fine. I mean, that's <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. The Lake Clintest monster uh, is uh, basically Nessie. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's essentially what it is. It's an old, it's an old dinosaur in, in the water. Also, like the Elves of Alheim, this does have a... It does have adventure seeds for you. Um, I don't think any gazetteer has t- quite topped the adventure ideas in um, the Kingdoms of Yerendi, but I do like that this gives you kind of a campaign thread that leads you through all the different level sets. So you get your your basic, your expert, your um, companion, and then kind of a master. And it ends with you like beating up not dwarf god, but like certainly like dwarf king arthur yeah it's um it's durin uh from tolkien mythology the first dwarf uh, uh except in here he's called dinwarf uh, uh the legendary king dinwarf reappears and he's uh, this massive six foot one inch tall so he's huge for a dwarf uh and uh he thinks he's the rightful king um uh, but he's also quite insane and uh, some of the dwarfs use this as an opportunity to seize power, and there's kind of this dwarf civil war that you can kind of get involved in. Yeah, it's it's a nice little campaign that you can do with this. Um, it's just sort of ready-made. And they don't give you a ton of details. It's a lot of stuff you have to fill out yourself, but it gives you a lot of seats. It's good. It's really nice. So the difference between this and Elves of Elfheim is the Elves of Elfheim campaign was kind of, it had a, an ongoing kind of story, but it was kind of sprinkled into each uh, subset of the adventure. Like this, this is how it would go if you were doing the plot, which was the name of the Elves of Elfheim campaign. So it was a little bit harder to follow where this basically just says, here's the big nasty miniseries which can take place within your Rockholm campaign and it's all together so it's a little bit easier to follow and then the individual adventures that it has after that are just sort of seats it's sort of uh styled in the same way that the kingdoms of Yerendi are styled I think it's it's less fantastic it's you know it's very kind of humdrum and routine almost like it's a lot of like guard duty or like caravan guarding or investigating, you know, attacks on dwarves. Bring me back 12 wolf pelts. Ding. <laughs> um, but I like it. I like that there's just kind of adventure skeletons, because it lets you fill out the details. They're, they're more seeds than they are actual, um, like, full-blown adventures. I think that's... We've covered the whole book. It, it ends there. Um, do we want to talk about our original applications yeah let's move into original applications and talk about how we would use this in our own campaigns 
I played uh, D&D, the original, the one that just had the dragon on top of the treasure. A softback, softback. Oh, wait, hang on, you were into the softback one? Original applications. Courtney, would you play as a dwarf of rock home? Yes, actually, um, let me see. I would want to be a, ooh, I would have to look up my pronunciation guide. Scar, <laughs> Scarad clan? Or the... It's Scarad. 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 You do like the, the T in butter? Scarad. So, um, because I like that they are, you know, your architecture, your engineering, your, they just, they're your solid, like, I feel like they're your backbone of your, your clans. That's why rolling to get your clan kind of bothers me, because I'm like, oh, what if I get stuck with something I don't like that much? But then the other characteristics, like, I kind of want to pick my own clan, but then I'm fine with rolling for everything else. Yeah, the the Skadad are like, they're a real dwarf's dwarf. They're like the blue-collar yes. dwarves. The backbone, yes, they're the, oh, yeah. the, the granite. Carl, how would you use this? I would use parts. I, I would not mind um, somebody running a dwarf cleric at my table based off of this rule set. I think it should be modified, uh, as I said previously. I would pull some of the dwarf um, ideas from this and attach it whole cloth uh, to my uh, game world. Uh, I especially like the the impermanency being kind of a sad thing to them. Um, I mean, I would use names out of this, clans out of this, non-player characters out of this. I would use the adventure ideas out of this. I don't have any desire to run a Rock Home campaign where everybody exists in the town of Rock Home and uh, I have to stick to the structure provided. I don't care about uh, becoming a dwarf senator or what that process is like, but there's still plenty here for me to use. Yeah. Uh, for me... You know what this book kind of did? This isn't so much original applications, um, but this book kind of made me see why people like Mistara so much, or the known world. Hmm. Like, this kind of put it in context. So, I had a lot of problems with Gaz 5, but I feel like if you took, and we haven't read, you know, the we haven't read t 1 through 3, which maybe someday, I don't know. Um... It really kind of put the world into context for me. Uh, there's a lot in here that I, I absolutely love. I love the Dwarven creation mythos, and I love um, the Denwarf, like, backstory and how he, like, was no longer needed. So the god of the dwarves, <laughs> like, trapped him underground. Um, And, you know, I, I just like that he's, like, a mythical king. I also liked... Um, I like the clan structure. There's a lot here. Like, I, I probably also wouldn't play in a Dwarves of Rock Home campaign, but I definitely would just take Rock Home out, and that's my dwarf society. And also, all the adventures are great. Like, I liked all of them. If I didn't already have... I don't know. If I didn't already have my own, like, interesting take on dwarves, if I wanted to play something closer to the D&D &D fantasy aesthetic. This would this is great. I like this a lot. I would just pull this out and even a rock home campaign though wouldn't be bad. Like I would follow the guidance in the book 
and I wouldn't have everyone be dwarves. I would just have, you know, most of the party be dwarves and maybe have an elf PC or a human PC who, you know, is a buddy and uh, maybe some non-human hirelings. But I think there's a lot here that uh, uh, a rock home campaign could be sustainable. Hey, would you recommend this book? I would give this two thumbs up because of all the dwarfs and the background information <laughs> on dwarfs. So anyone that is getting into D&D or maybe doesn't play dwarfs very often could definitely uh, learn a lot from this book. So I give it two thumbs up, not just one. What do you guys think? I also recommend this book. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to do thumbs, but I would say two thumbs. Two thumbs way up. Way up. Um, way up. It, it's not... My summary would be, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it's definitely, like, finding a way to take time off your NASCAR race trial. This got away from me. <laughs> Carl, what about you? I liked it as well. I'll give it a thumbs up. It's a good book. Uh, I think it's useful even if you don't ever plan to run your game in Rockholm or Mastara. I feel like there's still lots of cool ideas in here, plenty of adventure seeds, plenty of non-player characters that you can pull out for your own games in your own campaign world. And uh, for the $5 price tag, it's also worth just taking a look back at a little bit of D&D history, even though it's not as old as some of the history that we like to look at. It's still interesting to see the progression of the game. It is, uh, just a quick aside, it's five bucks for a PDF, so, like, just buy it. It's it's great. You you owe it to yourself. Um, secondly, it is print-on-demand through drive-thru as well, so if you want to get a physical copy, you can do that. I don't know how they'll handle the maps, but yeah, print-on-demand, uh, 13 bucks for a soft cover. You can get uh, both PDF and print-on-demand for 15 bucks, which is not bad. Uh, $17.98. Normally, it's on sale right now. And that's everything we have to say about the Dwarves of Rockholm. If you have something to say about the Dwarves of Rockholm, you can always write us an email at questions at saverdie.info, or you can drop into our Discord channel, the Wild Games Productions and OSR Gaming Discord channel. There will be a link to that in our show notes. You can also find us on Facebook, we also have a Twitter. There's lots of ways. Uh, <laughs> and we'll close out this show with some emails uh, from the last show. And I'm so excited. A dwarf voice. Somebody sent us in a dwarf voice. So we got an email from, and I apologize if I'm saying this wrong, Lao Lu. Lao Lu emailed us and sent us a dwarf voice. And in uh, the email, they said, Hey, Sodcasters. Wanted to give you all and the former hosts a big round of applause and thanks. I had a family tragedy happen a few years back and have been spending a lot of time fixing up an estate, missing out on gaming altogether. Thanks to yours and other podcasts, I've at least been able to game vicariously. Thank you all sincerely. As for my backstory, I entered gaming back in the mid-80s and have wondered... Through many different styles of play, currently I'm filling the whole OSR movement and enjoying games that count on some rule interpretation and heavier narrative drives. My kids, ages 16 to 6, have suddenly taken an interest in gaming. Talk about being a proud father. 
and we set off on adventure using the red box D&D, mostly. Maybe it's because I've played too much Second Ed and other games, but I'm feeling sorry for my daughter who chose to be a fighter. I just seem to recall a fighter getting a lot better at fighting a lot faster than what is there in the rules. As a kid, I remember having multiple attacks every other round at the mid-levels and having a lot better chance to hit than the other characters. Having just reviewed fighters, do you find the class a bit lacking? I'm with you guys that there's a ton of fun to just being a fighter and not needing extra named classes such as barbarians, cavaliers, and the such. But the base version of fighter seems to lack any special advantages aside from weapon and armor choices. I feel like I was sensing some of that from you as you talked about the original fighting man, but I'm not sure. Also, what do you guys feel about the original rules for bonus XP based on attribute scores? I almost feel it should be reversed of how it is, where less powerful characters should gain bonuses for making it through on their guts and brains alone. Finally, just for giggles, which old school B and X modules would you have on your short list if you wanted to give your kids a tour through the best of old school D&D? We're about done with B1 in search of adventure and getting ready for another mission. I'm thinking B4, Horror on the Hill, for some wilderness romps. Thanks for all you do, Lao Lu. And that's a great email. There's a lot there to unpack. Yeah. First, I'm sorry about your family tragedy. That That's terrible. But I'm glad that you've had time to get back into old school gaming. That's super cool. And I'm glad you really like the show. Thank you. We we love doing it, I assume. <laughs> so far, so good. Well, he's 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 absolutely right. Um, AD&D and second edition AD&D fighters progress faster in combat ability than basic D&D fighters. The first three levels of basic D&D, everybody's getting the same bonus to hit, essentially. The same Thacko uh, for levels one through three. And that's one of the reasons why all of the basic sets go from levels one through three, aside from Black Box, um, is because there's no change in that and the saving throws until level four. Fighters still progress faster in that uh, metric than other classes, but not quite as big a difference as we see in advanced Dungeons and Dragons in basic Dungeons and Dragons. I think in basic D&D, the real measurement of fighting ability is hit points. It's not your bonus to hit. It's not how good you are at hitting. It's how long you can stay in the fight. That's where we judge how good of a warrior you are. As for, I want to address um, the the comment about being starved for options, especially since he framed it with the original Fighting Man. Uh, what I was actually trying to get at in that episode was, if you go to the original game with supplements, the fighter's actually far more complex than he is in, or she, is in later versions of classic D&D. You've got the parry ability, you're the only one who gets to add your strength score to hit and damage, you're the only person who gets to modify your AC with your um, dexterity score, uh, you get the multiple attacks uh, per round against um, one hit die or less creatures. So I feel like in the original framework of the game, the fighter is actually the most complex fighting thing. You just have more options outside of, like, I can cast a spell. And sure, you get more spells as time goes on, but, you know, a third-level fighter is going to have 
better ability to fight, I think, than than a third level magic user. He's also going to get to third level a lot faster. Also, if you're playing Menser D&D, one thing you can do to spice up your daughter's fighter is, if you have a copy of the Rule Cyclopedia, start bringing in the weapon specialization and weapon mastery skills. Um, that'll really make her, you know, if she's if she's got the prerequisites for it and the ability to invest in that, That'll make her a lot better at fighting than uh, than everyone else a lot faster. So that's another option, you know. Get a, get a copy of the Rule Cyclopedia, or um, were were those in the Master Rules originally? Yes. Yeah. So or a copy of the Master Rules. I I find that allowing improvised actions without any sort of like penalty for trying new things is always a great idea. I'm not a big fan of like permission based game design when it comes to D&D this is getting like game theory kind of um I-, I like the try what you're good at at a bonus and then try what you're not good at at like base level let her trip people let her faint let her do kind of like swashbuckly things and i feel like if you break the action economy of of a combat round in in basic D&D or you know classic D&D outside of you know I attack or I shoot my bow and let them do sort of like weird things like you know I'm I'm she's probably young so she's probably watched some amount of anime or played some amount of video games you know let her do like a somersault and stab a dude like I I think that's a a a good way you can let her start becoming creative even if you don't want to break into all these additional rules. Is your kid having fun being a fighter? I mean, I know you may not feel like it's progressing as much as you remembered, but as long as she's enjoying it, then obviously that's what matters. If she's like, oh, you know, I mean, I really thought I was going to be able to be more intimidating or whatever the case may be, then you could go in and add in some extra things. Or maybe just suggest them and something she didn't even know was not a possibility. That's a super good point. I mean, it's very possible that they're just projecting this non-good time on this person who's having a blast. Worrying about a thing that's a non-problem. And just because it's not the way that you remember it doesn't mean that she's not having a good time. If she's enjoying the way it is, then, you know, play it out. Yeah. So as far as his XP based on attribute scores, I'm in complete agreement. I think getting extra XP based on having high stats is silly. And I do not use it in my games. Oh, see, I love the prime requisite rules. Uh, I did, like most people, I, you know, tried to design my own role-playing game. And um, I I did bring that in. I'm a big fan of uh, fail-forward mechanics, like fail-forward design, where you succeed at a cost, but potentially learn more by doing that. But I don't know, I always saw it as just, like, natural aptitude. You know, my, my fighter has a 17 strength versus your fighter who has a 14 strength. I'm just going to be naturally better at fighting things. So my progression will be easier. That's how I, I I don't think it's, I don't think it's so much more that you learn more from the experience. It's that your natural aptitude means that you have an easier time progressing because you're still getting the same XP as my fighter with the same XP baseline as as your fighter, but it goes a longer way for me 
because my fighter is just more naturally gifted. I always assumed it was implemented just to push people to play the correct character based on the stat block they ended up with. Uh, just just another thing to say, oh, you get this bonus if you play this character. I don't know. I also don't think that's a bad idea. No, no, no not necessarily. But uh, no, I, I, I don't know. I, you might be turning me around and I might... <laughs> I might reconsider my stance. I don't know. Maybe I'll turn people around on that. If I can do that, maybe then I can turn them around on uh, on not using variable weapon dice. Who knows? Yeah, that, that one will be harder, I imagine. What about this last one? Which old school module would you suggest? Oh, man. Uh, Shortlist, B2, X3, B4, B5, um and X2. I don't really have a lot of companion or master level, but like those would be those would be my go-tos. Would be like if you're running a campaign, I would do B2 and then X3. Those are perfect modules in my eyes and they can't do anything wrong. Yeah, I, I love B2. That would be my suggestion. You just finish B1, go straight to B2 and and uh stay the course. So, uh he also uh, sent us in a dwarf voice, so we can listen to that now. Boy, dwarfs, get that ale down your gullet, grab your axe, and let's find us some adventure! <laughs> That's awesome. It reminds me of the uh, Viking from How to Train Your Dragon, since we just rewatched that. Oh, yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> it's a lot like that, yeah. <laughs> Is, are you talking about um, Gerard Butler, or are you talking about Craig Ferguson? I think you're reminds me more of the one that is not Hiccup's dad. Okay. He's like so, the trainer, the guy that stays back, his friend. Craig Ferguson. Just more Scottish dwarf voice. Yeah. I, I love it. I thought it was great. Thank you so much for humoring us and sending this in. Uh, uh, anybody else that wants to send us a dwarf voice? I, I will keep that bit for as long as people are sending us dwarf voices because I love it. Oh, that was... That one was awesome. I mean, you kind of put us all to shame, but that's okay. We're all right with that. That was that was amazing. Thank you for sending that in. And that'll end our show for this episode. Uh, again, I'm Crispy, who was killed tragically by a poisonous spider and then reincarnated as a level 6 elf. <laughs> I'm Courtney, and I'm your level 8 cleric, and I'm back at full power. And I am Carl, and I just uh, switched my od and elf back to a fighting man. Thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to stick around after the end theme for our actual play. The Save or Die podcast is a production of Wild Games Production, and it's produced for entertainment purposes only. The music used in the intro and outro is by Tripod and used with permission. Be sure to visit the Save or Die crew at saveordie.info for more information. If you'd like to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com slash WGP. Welcome to the Save or Die actual play. I will be the Dungeon Master. Uh, I'm DM Carl. And we are going to open on the realm of Mokstara, which is kind of like Mustara, but if I get something wrong, nobody can say anything because it's Mokstara. And we are going to be in the town of Rockholm for our first episode, Ill Met in Rockholm.
we're going to be in a tavern, a dwarven tavern. There, so there's lots of L, lots of food, lots of carousing, lots of games and shouting and dwarven reverence is happening. And in that, there is a, a dwarven woman sitting at a table by herself. And Courtney, will you please tell us about this dwarf? Uh, my name is Hilda, and I am short and stout, and I carry a battle axe and a shield. I have red hair that is long. I do not have a beard. I come from a long family line of adventurers, and I am just here at the tavern to see what is hustling and bustling and happening around here, see what I might want to do on my next adventure. In this rowdy tavern where the dwarfs are shouting and yelling and ordering more drinks and eating more food, the air is pulled out of the room because in walks an elf. Crispy, can you tell us about this elf? I'm Leothward, the Skald, master of the ephemeral, obsessive, maybe, knowledgeable, most certainly, effeminate, sometimes. He's a, a tall, waifish man carrying a lyre and a two-handed sword. And uh, he, he walks in and pulls down the cloak of his hood and, and scans the room. Leothord scans the tavern and sees Hilda sitting by herself at a table. Hilda is the dwarf that Leothord came looking for. Leothward will walk up to Hilda's table and sit down and kick his feet up and just sigh discontentedly. Give us that sigh real quick. I want to hear that sigh. Uh, just make it a real show, like trying to bait her into asking him what's wrong. <laughs> Can I help you? Uh, maybe. It's just ever since I've gotten here, it's been so dreadfully boring. Nothing but utilitarian art and art deco. Ugh. Say, you look like, uh, someone who might like to get into a, a bit of mischief. What exactly do you mean? Would I have known Courtney's character's father? Yeah. Are our dads, like, famous adventurers? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's say you've asked around town and found her. Okay. I mean, surely the daughter of Sodley of Rockholm can't be content with just doing mere god duty. What? What'd you say? Sodley of Rockholm, your father. You know my father? We've met once or twice. In fact, he built this for me, and I pull out my lyre. Oh, that is very nice. Yes, yes, it's nothing quite like it in the world. What is it you do? He, like, strums a chord on his lyre, stands up, starts to, like, clear his throat, and takes in a deep breath for a song. The dwarves are not really pleased. Uh, upon hearing you start to present this show, uh, unannounced, unplanned, unscheduled, uh, there was nothing on the board about live music. They, they, uh, they are not pleased at all. And um, they start 
jeering and mocking and yelling at you to sit back down and the uh, the tavern keeper leans over his bar and says hey you you there sit down no music no music from you so he looks ashamed and like sits back down what do you think you are doing hmm. are you trying to make everybody mad at us i mean you <sighs> Just so dreadfully drab. Your entire society is just work, 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 work. No appreciation for the fleeting things in life. Haven't you ever wanted to go see the last sunset over a volcano before it explodes? Or find a river that no man has ever trekked? Hmm. Depends. Is there gold at this river? There could be. Or... There could be something much better than gold. Jewels. I was going to say the friendships we forge along the way, but I, I suppose jewels are also fine. Jewels can be very nice friends, but I'm listening. I have heard that diamonds are a girl's best friend, but I just sort of chalked that up to marketing. <laughs> Emeralds and rubies are nice, too. So... You do long for more than this provincial life. I could be enticed to go on a little bit more adventure than I've seen lately. Hmm. Good, good. Then I have found the right person. And he, like, pulls out the letter and, like, slams it on the table. Leothward hands you a letter, Hilda, uh, slides it to you, and it is... A letterhead that you recognize. It is your family's letterhead. This is a letter sent from your father, Sodley. And the letter, as you open it up, reads, Friend Sodalus, I have reached out to you to help and aid my daughter, Hilda. I can see within her the desire to adventure, to stake out her claim, to seek out danger, gold, and glory, and I fear for her safety. I am requesting you, friend Elf, that you will teach my daughter how to be safe and how to be successful as an adventurer. I hope this letter reaches you well. I am in poor health and I fear I may not see you again, but please seek out my daughter and help her find her way. Your friend, Sodley the Dwarf. Oh, father, he always is so worried about me. Thinks I can't hold my own. Well, that's good news for me, because I do um, need have need of a companion. You see, I am uh, what they call a warrior poet. A scald, if you will. And it is my mission in this life to find those things that only exist for but a moment to chronicle them. The only thing is, is that those things that only lasts for a moment, are usually followed up by something that, <clears throat> well, could take your life away in a moment. And, uh, well, I would like to see as many of those things as I can, uh, and not have that other bit, the follow-up part, happen to me, uh, ever, uh, like it did to my old man, who is also dead, unfortunately. So it sounds like you need me to protect you. As opposed to my father, who thinks you 
can protect me. Well, I think your father wanted my father to protect you, but my father couldn't protect himself. And, uh, well, let's just say that that song sold very well, and I've come into a little bit of a nest egg. So, yes, I would like to go adventuring with you. Maybe two, two upstarts on their own, finding their own way in the world, making their way downtown, walking fast, faces past in the homebound, or maybe not homebound. Maybe they're bound towards the, the horizon just beyond the, the next ridge where secrets unfounded and untold lie. And, you know, uh, if we're lucky, maybe there will be some treasure. I'm not really doing it for that, but, you know, a man has to eat. I'll carry the treasure then. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I'll tell you what, if we do see some good dungeons along the way, could we possibly stop at those as well? I like a good dungeon. Hmm. I don't know if I've brought enough pants to properly delve into a dungeon. Uh, these are my oh. only pair. Uh, you see, my, my father did not leave me much. Uh, really, just this armor and and this sword. And, well, th- there's more, but it's in a trust. And there's stipulations for me to get to that money. Oh, goodness. Carry on, carry on. We will, I will go with you. But if you would lend me a few dollars so that I may buy a traveling outfit so I don't get these clothes dirty, <clears throat> I would... I would most certainly enjoy the company. Alright, there is a commotion from outside the tavern. You hear, Help! Help! They've escaped! They've escaped! The lizard's gone out! The lizard's gone out! Someone help! And there's people screaming and things getting knocked over and pushed around and uh, there's a general commotion and noise coming from outside the tavern. I run outside. I will follow close behind. Upon getting outside, you see a scene of chaos. There are rock home lizards running all around loose as opposed to in their pins the stupid beasts are knocking things over knocking people over and in general are confused and scared there is a dwarf running after them short of breath and yells to you help 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 if you can grab a lizard bring them back to their pins uh, my good man this blouse is Daryl Keen. I don't think you quite understand. I wasn't talking to you, you pointy head. Somebody help! A dwarf! A proper dwarf! Help me! Can I just move? Like, grab a one, or do I... Yeah, 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 yeah. You can you can go and grab a, 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 a running, crazed lizard. That's absolutely fine. They are uh, pretty large. They're about uh, five foot tall. Um, so And they are fairly strong. So you will need to roll... Your strength are under on a d20 to grab a hold of one. My other question is, could I use my pole to, like, herd them? Oh, that's a really good idea. My yeah, yeah, you have pole? a 10-foot pole. So you could probably use that to kind of uh, push them around. You could try to intimidate them, uh, 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 kind of get in their face, or however you want to handle that. Maybe be more gentle So I'm going to hold it, like, in the middle and kind of use it to the left and the right to kind of herd back and forth. Like, you know... T- to the right, to the left. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you're going to start pushing them back and kind of hurting them. Um, give me a d20 roll and you're trying to roll low. Oh, I rolled a one. 
Oh my goodness. That's okay. <laughs> so you are uh, pushing back the lizards very successfully. Uh, yes, with I've been hurting lizards for a long time. This is the see. type of this is the type of adventure work that Hilda has gotten. Uh, <laughs> so this is old news. Uh, she's not really uh, gotten to have any grand adventures, but hurting lizards that's that's a uh, her uh, status quo right there. That's her daily paycheck. So you're pushing the lizards back into the pen, really no problem. Um, and, uh, Leothward, while you are watching this happen, a lizard <laughs> right behind you starts pouncing around, jumping around, and is going to try to kick you. It's, uh, uh, pull it up on its tail like a kangaroo and trying to kick at you. Um, Am I aware of the lizard? Do I see it reeling back? Yes. Uh, I'm going to throw my hands up, uh, in front of my face and scream. <laughs> Give us that scream real quick if you don't mind. No! It hits you. <laughs> kicks you square in the chest and knocks you down. It doesn't hurt too bad. I mean, it's it's a large creature, but it's not actively trying to like kill you. You were just in the way. Um, but you do take one point of damage as you're knocked to the okay. ground and it bounces around over you. Oh, I'm knocked to the ground? Yes. It's it's uh it's like stonework, right? It's not like right. a muddy road. Right. Yeah, it's not a muddy road, yeah. This is all dwarf city stone stuff. So, uh the lizards are still walking around, the dwarfs all working together, start pushing them back into the pins. Um and uh uh the one that jumped over you is getting away, Crispy. Uh the one that jumped over Leothward is now uh making its way down alleys. The dwarfs have missed it. I'm going to get up and chase after that lizard. Okay, yeah, you're you're uh, quite fast, and it's quite fast, but you can keep pace with it. I'm gonna try to like sprint and tackle it. Okay, so you are uh, running full speed at the uh, lizard, and you launch yourself at it, trying to grab it around its neck to tackle it. Give me a d20 roll. You're trying to roll high. I got a natural twenty. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> So we have two uh, critical successes. Our first two rolls uh, from our player characters. A critical success on a 1 and a critical success on a 20. That's just awesome to me. That's fantastic. I'm so excited. All right. You take down the lizard and you are able to get the lizards back in their pins with very little difficulty. And uh, the dwarves... Uh, the who own the pins are so pleased that you were able to do that for them that they offer you a reward of 40 silver coins. Awesome. I will take those silver coins. Now you can go buy your own fancy shirt. I will go. But, oh, no, there's not going to have anything in my size here. <laughs> You're not going to go buy a pair of dwarf pants? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> sure are flooding today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Leothward and Hilda have met and have joined together and are now leaving Rockholm to go on adventures. And we will pick this up again at the end of episode 151. Love me, that's nothing who's always that way. Change all the rules to the game from what they were.
So you meet in a tavern with dead parents. It's every cliche. <laughs> <laughs>